0: Welcome to the Silent Elephant Project podcast where we have conversations with everyday people living with life-limiting health conditions. We are not claiming to be specialists, but we are offering a therapeutic space to build dialogue around marginalised health themes, giving you the opportunity to listen in. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day you are listening to this podcast. My name is Babs and I am the CEO and founder of Fresh RBCIC, which is the social enterprise that is behind the Silent Elephant project. We are a fantastic team that are, are here to give a platform to marginalized health conditions that affect ourselves as well as our community this is an amazing opportunity to um, create content that allows people to just speak and be a therapeutic space for people to reflect on the health condition that they might be living with or they know people who are living with these health conditions um we didn't see anything out here to do this so here we are doing what we do okay so with world cancer day being the 4th of february I thought it'd be right just to raise the awareness of cancer. For most of you who know me, you know my story. I am a cancer survivor. I have been cancer free for over seven years now. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2009, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. and, And here we are trying to raise the awareness for cancer okay cancer is something that affects a, a, a whole heap of people it, it, it's crazy like you know look in the statistics it says three hundred and sixty-seven thousand new cancer cases happen in the uk every year which is about a thousand every day that is ridiculous absolutely ridiculous i just happen to be one of those thousands in 2009 um for us it's just an opportunity to speak about this as close to my heart as you probably will know but rather than you hearing my story which will be for another day for those who don't know my story um i'll be interviewing somebody else who has an experience with with cancer and um what is she doing now the amazing thing she's doing in our local community is amazing i mean i'm saying amazing twice but that's how it is she is she's a force to be reckoned with so without further ado can't wait for you guys to listen up to the interview all right cool let's get straight to it so hi Saren, how are you doing
0: hi i'm great how are you
1: I'm doing all right, you know, I'm doing good. It's amazing to to actually see you again and just to, to, to speak to you again. Because I felt like when we met, it was kind of by chance. But then on the same hand, it was it was an amazing opportunity to speak about what you guys do. And so for me, it being the fact that it is um, World Cancer Day anyways, on the 4th of February. I thought, what yeah. better time to speak about cancer and to talk about the stuff that you're doing.
0: So my name's Saren. I um, live in Manchester, lived in Manchester for about God, about six years now, um, but I'm originally from North Wales, so I came here to, for uni and just love the place and just have ended up staying here. So I'm the Head of Engagement at CATS, uh, Cancer Awareness for Teens and Twenties. Um, I'm also a Master's student in Public Health at the University of Salford.
1: Boom! That is amazing. Tell me about what events that led up to your diagnosis and what was your diagnosis?
0: Yeah. So I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2015. So gosh, about coming up to six years this year. So I had my uh, five years all clear in October, just gone. Um, so it has been it has been quite a while, actually. I actually went to the University of Salford to study my undergraduate degree uh, in English literature. Um, so I went there in 2014 originally. And it was about, say, about January in my first year that I just started to feel just just generally not very well thought it was kind of like about as flu that you always hear about going rounds, and I was just like aching just didn't feel myself and I'd also noticed I put on a lot of weight like in my stomach specifically and I've always been kind of like the same build and I was like it's very unfamiliar to me that kind of like I put on weight in one area but I kind of just thought you know I've not been eating great I've been at uni those been going out a lot you know just put it down to that and it was like that consistently for weeks and weeks and weeks and it was getting solid like a solid really bloated stomach and i was like it's just something not right so i went back home uh, to wales actually uh, where my parents lived and i went to see my family gp that i'd always been at went into the room and he literally just said to me he was like a bit tmi but he was like you have probably just really constipated and i was like right okay but <laughs> I just don't, I, I don't know. I just, it didn't fit what I was thinking. Like, cause everything just, I, I wasn't eating. I hadn't eaten for, for about a week at that point, which is actually quite alarming. So not of having any food for about a week makes make you obviously feel very rubbish. But he was like, let's do some blood tests. So I was like, right, okay. So I went into another room, had some blood tests. He rang me the next day. So I had a call from an unknown number, which no one ever wants. <laughs> and I was like, I, I bet, I bet it's my GP. And he said, Sarah, and he was like, are you with someone and I was like no no I'm, I'm just I'm just at uni I've just walked out of a lecture and he was like can you go to A&E like where's your nearest hospital and I was like yeah I can go to Sulphur Royal A&E like that's fine so I went back to my flat and he'd given me a number to write down so it's CA125 which I now know is like a cancer marker and it's often associated with ovarian cancer but at that point I didn't even have time to like google it I went back to my flat knocked on my flatmate's door and I said can you come to hospital with me and I don't think he was surprised at this point. Like, I'd been ill for, like, quite a fair few weeks. So I went to a and and it all kind of started to unfold then, really. I must have had about 12 pregnancy tests. And I think by the 12th one, they believed that I wasn't pregnant. Because <laughs> <Wow. laughs> I think they obviously saw, saw me, you know, a young person looking probably visibly pregnant but i was not pregnant um and then they did a ct scan after that so they were pretty certain it was my appendix at first they were almost convinced i, I even actually met two surgeons they were that convinced that it was my appendix mm. they were like "Right, wow. okay we're going to take you to surgery and then i had a ct scan and they said you have a ovarian a mass the size of about a rugby ball in inside Whoa. you this was about early march so I'd been feeling unwell since about January, so this is about early March, um, and I, I was in A&E. And I stayed in hospital then for about two months, I think. So I was in sulphur roll for a couple of weeks, and I was scheduled for surgery at the Christie Cancer Hospital in Manchester. Um, I think one of the things that always hits me is the fact that they didn't know it was cancer at this point, but I was in a teenage cancer trust ward. So that was a very, like, weird time for me, because I... I was quite conflicted that i hadn't been diagnosed with cancer but i was in a cancer ward, so i was kind of already Mm, coming to terms with it the thing is with ovarian cancer is they can't just do a blood test and know that you've got it they have to actually you know surgically do a biopsy and and look at what's what mass is inside you and test it for cancer so i had to wait a long long time i was ended up in intensive care because Basically, I hadn't at this point eaten in so long and the mass was kind of pushing against all my other organs because it didn't really have anywhere else to go and it was growing really fast. And I think this point, though, I kind of like lost all kind of knowledge of what was going on because I was just in so much pain, I don't actually remember anything. Um, I had the operation and all those days after it being in intensive care it was a bit of a blur. And then a month later, I had a biopsy. And Well, they tested the biopsy, and then a month later, I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I went in uh, with my mom and dad. There was a teenage cancer trust, key worker, they call them, in the corner of the room, and I saw her lanyard. I knew straight away as soon as I saw her face that I had cancer. Walked in wow. there and I saw her lanyard, and I was like, you know, obviously, that's that's the diagnosis. She wouldn't be there otherwise. So was diagnosed that day. I think he, he said the words that we found cancer cells, so I was like... Does that mean I've got cancer then? And he said, yes. <laughs> and then I think the next question was, will I lose my hair? Which
1: <laughs> at this point is very big.
0: <laughs> but I was very concerned about losing my hair, apparently. But all of the rest mm. of it was just a complete But I remember me and my mum and dad were in the lift of the car park, and they were holding me crying. And I was just in, I think I just was in complete shock, but also realising that I just needed to get on with the next part. I needed to mm. just go through chemo and just get to the other side of it but yeah that's my big finding out i had cancer story really it kind of was all a bit of a whirlwind and it was all over quite quickly as well um wow. within a couple of months
1: <laughs> wow like it's it's crazy because there's so many parallels to your story and my story and it, mm. and, it, and the fact that you talked about it being a blur like mm. after they say that word cancer and you figure out that they're talking to you everything else they're saying is just like mute all mumbled yeah. up you can't really hear what they're saying mm. um
0: it's like a fishbowl in there like yeah you've gone underwater for a second yeah yeah it's just yeah. in complete shock but then yeah i and i don't know about you if you kind of when leading up to your diagnosis if you had like a feeling that there was something not quite right but yeah me and my dad were quite pessimistic we both thought it was cancer and i think my mom was the most shocked because she was trying to stay positive, And that was probably the most heartbreaking thing that she mm. was convinced that it wasn't in her head, whereas I'd already kind of accepted it. Mm. And I think it is, isn't it? It's There's so many parallels, I think, with young people who are diagnosed with cancer because it's so unexpected. And I think that's such a big part of it that you just don't ever think it's gonna happen to you and then it happens to you and you're like, what, how, how has this happened to me? You always read about it happening to other people I think that's what the, you're trying to get across to other people—that actually it does, it does happen. That you should be aware of it, kind of thing. So obviously, why you're doing podcasts like this? Because you never know, dear. Unfortunately,
1: I mean, I'm getting goosebumps now just hearing that because it's crazy. Because <laughs> it's like you—you you definitely are. Like the parallels, the questions you're asking are exactly the same mm. questions I was asking. Like it was like, why mm. me? Like I thought it was other people that get cancer. Yeah. You read about these things. I mean yeah whoa like whoa my next question was how did you cope with your treatment i know you you just said you know you were worried about losing your hair and it's funny Mm -hmm. that's the first thing that comes to your mind because that's what you see in you know the movies about people going through cancer or going through chemo and stuff like that so how did you cope with your treatment
0: gosh so i'd i'd had the diagnosis in the april 2015 and i started the chemo in i think it was may I always forget the dates, but I had it every three weeks. I think I had it about six or seven times up until the August of that year. So it was quite a short cycle of chemo. I was quite um, underweight from the operation. So I'd been struggling to eat um, just because of the pain and because of the surgery. So they had to build my strength up a bit to be able to have the chemo. Um, And then started on loads of steroids, had the chemo. I think the thing that hit me the most was the sickness, Mm. just the feeling even now, it feels like you wake up from, like, the worst hangover you've ever had. Your head's spinning. You feel so sick. Yes. But it just doesn't go away. Yeah. Because I, I remember having hangovers, like, when I went back to uni, I was like, it just this just feels like waking up from chemo. And it's the worst thing because it just, it's just such such a parallel. Because like, that, that's the only way to describe uh. it to people that haven't had chemo because you can't really verbalize it in any other way than it kind of just feels like a bit well a hangover is a bit of an understatement because it's obviously a terrible thing to go through but yeah the sickness was really bad and i went into a routine actually of trying to figure out how to get rid of it so i used to wake up have an anti-sickness tablet and then go back to sleep and try Mm. and sleep it off and then wake up and i usually felt a bit better that was the thing i struggled with the most in trying to eat through it the infections as well i think that's obviously the scariest thing isn't it having chemo is yeah I ended up in and a couple of times, I think, thinking oh. that I was neutropenic. So I believe it's when you don't have an immune response or your immune system kind of fails.
1: Mm. Um,
0: but luckily, that wasn't the case. And luckily, that didn't happen. But I had severe tonsillitis at one point, And they kind of thought that I might not be able to have my chemo, which is the worst thing, because you have to kind of plan your life around it, don't you? Like, okay, yeah. got one cycle, and then I got the next one. And if I miss this cycle, then that means I'm written off for another week or... You know, you have to plan your whole life around it. And I was 19 at the time, was trying to maintain a social life, was trying to stay with friends. I I look back on what I did that summer and I went to two music festivals and I don't know how I did it because Mm. (laughs) I was going through chemo and I don't know how, one, my parents let me go. I think the important thing is to try and maintain a normal life as much as you can. Obviously, having chemo is horrible and there is a lot of things you just can't do, but... If you want to do something, you still should be able to do it because you're deserving of a life as much as everyone else's. And then it has been in the press a lot this week about mm. people with cancer mm. um, yeah. being told that their lives are not as valuable as other people's, which is obviously not true. We both know that. But you know, you're entitled to a life. When people say you can't do that, you've got cancer. Well no, I can do what I want, you know, as as much as anyone else. And I tried to maintain that as much as possible. But I think a lot of it was me trying to, um, it was like tunnel vision. August was my last chemo and I was trying to maybe as much as possible ignore it. Ignore Mm. the fact that Mm. I was on treatment, go into hospital, have the IV for like two or three hours and get out of there and maybe not consciously think about the fact that I was having chemo because I didn't, log any of it i didn't take photos i didn't take videos i didn't blog nothing i went in there and went out and went home and even sometimes i think why didn't i take photos why didn't i record it but i didn't want to i never thought about doing yeah. it and um, maybe a bit of a strange regret that i didn't yeah but you're just trying to think about getting through the day i think you know, yeah. when they, when you get that, I don't know if you had that as well. That cold when when they put the chemo because it's been oh. in the fridge and it goes up your arm and you freeze. It's the strangest thing, and all all of these all of these weird feelings that I think no one knows unless you've had chemo. Yeah. Um, and the steroids they were awful, <sighs> and the nurses gave me like a bag and it had like um, little beads in it, and they heated it up. They must have heated it up in the microwave to put on my arm. 'Cause my wow. arm used to get so cold and my hands were all bruised and achy from the yeah. from the cannulas and everything. It's just weird things you never think about actually.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, you get bruises all over your body and everything.
1: If you're squeamish to needles, you won't be squeamish yeah. after chemo. like Yeah, literally, you're just watching it going in. And I remember they like there was a point where they had to switch switch arms. It was like you could see that my veins were like really bruised and they were like mm. all black. And so they had to move to the other arm. And I was just like, oh. What's happening to me? Like I'm just completely
0: like a pain cushion.
1: Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it was it's crazy and the things you've just mentioned like the 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 stories and the emotions and the feelings everything resonates with me right now Mm. because it's funny because as i'm actually hosting this podcast it's actually therapeutic for me to hear you speak Mm. about these things because finally finding somebody who kind of like experienced exactly the same Mm. things i went through and it's it's this is the purpose of what we do here you know at podcast and we just really want to talk more about that one thing i want people to know is that You're currently in a stage of remission, full remission now? or
0: Been five years all clear. I know some people say all clear. Some people say no evidence of disease, whatever you want to call it. Thankfully, I haven't had any kind of scares or anything like that since, well, the beginning, really, when I was diagnosed. I've been very thankful. Still do have my other ovary. So they took out one ovary and I had fertility treatment. They kind of like spared my eggs or froze my eggs, however you want to word it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that was really successful, which I was really lucky for, because I know a lot of people don't actually get the opportunity to do that. I think I'm actually going to be having checkups for the next 10 years, which I'm really thankful for. So they're going to just keep a close eye on me at the Christie, really, just to make sure that, you know, everything's going well. I actually have a checkup in, I think, next next Friday. We have two consultants. Wow. I think I was joking with my mom the other day. I think you've got to try to joke about things because I have um, yes. kind of like long-term effects of, of, of chemo. And I have another consultant. And I said, I feel like I'm collecting them because I have like three now <laughs> that I see different <laughs> things. Wow. Obviously, not something you want to collect. I've been so lucky. Um, I know a lot of people that have you know, stolen treatment, have relapsed, have had such debilitating side effects. And I have those too. You know, I have like chronic pain from chemo and I'm still waiting on an operation for that that unfortunately has been postponed because of the pandemic. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I count myself as very lucky,
1: very lucky. Nah, man, that's, that's really good. Um, No, we feel so blessed to be alive. Um, I can, I'm sure I can speak for both of us.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So you've just been listening to the amazing Seren speak about her diagnosis, how she felt, what it was like when she was diagnosed, the emotion that comes with it, the feeling. So if you've been touched by part one, get ready to get inspired by part two, because we're gonna be talking about resilience. What is she doing now? What does the fact of being diagnosed at a young age mean for her life right now and potentially the future? You don't wanna miss out on this. As I told you, she's a trailblazer. What she's going to be telling you guys is going to be inspirational. Welcome to the Silent Elephant Project podcast and we are in part two. Now we're going to be speaking about the trailblazing stuff that she is doing in the local community here in Manchester. And so for me, this is where I like to put my oomph to because this is what I'm about. I'm about resilience. I'm about bouncing back. I'm about using what was a tragedy and turning it into a triumph. I can't wait for you guys to hear what she says. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. We are so excited to get into this because this is where we speak about resilience. This is where we're talking about what we do now because we feel like we are blessed to have life right now. One thing I want to ask you is after being diagnosed how has it impacted your life right now
0: i mean obviously i wouldn't be here speaking to you today and you wouldn't be speaking to me if we both hadn't been diagnosed with cancer and i think i've always said there's a lot of pressure on people that are diagnosed with cancer to like be an inspiration to like do something and you don't have to do something and if anyone's listening to this and has a chronic health condition or like has had cancer you don't have to do anything you can live your life however you want because of that. But if you're motivated to do something, then that's also great. And I feel like I struggled a lot with my mental health after cancer, and I kind of didn't realize that I was. Like I had really bad anxiety, and I was actually diagnosed with PTSD uh, a couple of years afterwards because of being in intensive care. Like I didn't realize it actually impacted me until I started to get flashbacks and certain smells, like all the kind of things that you – do expect and the Christie were amazing like they had a specialist team um, a mental health team that dealt with people who had been in intensive care and that team made me realize that actually because I kept on thinking like am I am I going mad like is this like have other people experienced this like am I just Mm, being really mm. like overly sensitive and of course like everyone's feelings are valid and um they did diagnose me with that and it started to like make me unpack things and like what actually kind of led me up to be here so in school I'd always wanted to be a doctor or a paramedic or something like in in medicine but I never Mm. got the grades for it never got the grades enough to be a doctor like it was rubbish at chemistry not particularly great at maths (laughs) wrote it off went to uni to do English because that's what I was good at so I did it and I don't regret it like I I loved my degree and I really had a great time at uni obviously except for having cancer but that did Mm. actually start to change things so I remember specifically actually when I was in um Salford Royal with my mum so she was staying with me because they got her a little camp bed at the end of my bed so I was really thankful that she was there with me and I kind of said to her I really remember specifically saying this that you know if I come out of the other side of this I want to do something with this experience something along those lines I said to her but I think it comes back to the point that you don't have to. And mm. and I don't know how much of that was me feeling like the pressure that you have to do something. If you've got an illness, you know, all these amazing, inspirational people that, you know, totally deserve their place and all of their success for everything that they've done. But I feel like there is a lot of pressure that you have to be that. But, um, yeah. yeah, so I went on, started volunteering for Cats, um, who I work for now. And I started to realize that I wanted to do something. I heard so many young people that had been diagnosed late with cancer, so many young people who didn't know, like me, and never once crossed my mind that I'd have cancer. Mm. Um, and when they said it could be ovarian cancer, I was like, I, "What? I don't even know what that is. Can you explain <laughs> to me? Like, obviously it's cancer of the ovaries, but what, yeah. I, how has that happened to me? I, mm. I had no family history. You know, very lucky to have no family history of cancer. And it just didn't add up in my head. It really didn't add up in my head like I was 19. I was like, I've got to make more people aware of it. So I started campaigning, talking to different news outlets, lots of journalists about my story, making people aware of the symptoms of ovarian cancer. And then started to realize I was actually really passionate about health awareness, really passionate about cancer awareness. Applied for a job at CATS, got the job and started off there in 2018. And that kind of led me to where i was up to today really i think realizing that i was actually passionate about what had happened to me and Mm. actually wanting to make sure that it didn't happen to other young people that they didn't know the symptoms of cancer that they didn't know that it could happen to a young person and i think that's the most important thing that it probably won't happen to you statistically it probably won't but it could or it could happen to your friend or it could happen to your cousin and you probably should know and probably should talk about it. It shouldn't be a taboo word that people just tiptoe around because unfortunately it happens to so many people. And it, the older you get, the higher chance. And I think people just need to know. Definitely wouldn't be here. I don't know how much of how much having cancer has really impacted my life. I might not even be in Manchester. I really don't know. Yeah. It's It's been a massive part of my life, but also not entirely me anymore i feel like i went through a long time of it being me that having cancer was part of my personality and now it's just mm. something that happened to me yep it has made me really passionate about lots of other things so yeah that's how i've kind of taken it
1: really it's funny i said the progression of what you just mentioned has been a progression of even what i do as well so initially when um, i started the company it was more about I'm um, raising the awareness of cancer, you know, through me. Yeah. That was the whole purpose of what fresh R B stood for. Um, mm-hmm. But as I started to, you know, develop as an individual, develop and mature, I started to realize actually it's not just limited to cancer. It's just mm-hmm. generally raising the awareness of life limiting health conditions. And so that's how yeah. we've got into the space that we're in right now. And yes, it's something that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's part of your history and it is a landmark in your history. However, you can grow on to be whoever you want to be in that. So mm-hmm. that's definitely that liberating thing that comes in. So I'm still just shocked and how parallels are, <laughs> like, you know, in terms <laughs> of just like how it how it how it plays out. And yeah. And that's something I want people who are listening to this podcast to understand is that this is post chemo post treatment post post life of being diagnosed with cancer and this is what it means to us and it means that you know we go on to be 110 percent who we want to be and i think it makes us grow better it makes us um experience life to its fullest experience mm-hmm. every little moment counts for me i always look at time as extra time right now this is extra time for me Definitely, um because as yeah. you said who knows where i would have been and i think for me the life i live right now is a life exactly that i want to live you know i'm not shortchanging tr- changing myself in anything so yeah. that's really good so you spoke about cats and and you talk, spoke about how you started volunteering with them i just want you to give us you know just a brief understanding of what CATS is about, what they do. What's their general mission for existence as a charity?
0: CATS is stands for Cancer Awareness for Teens and Twenties. So CATS was actually founded in Manchester back in around 2016. So uh, James, James Adams, who's on our trustee board now, um, he's a doctor. He was a student at Manchester at the time, at the uni. And he also had a brain tumour himself when he was around 19. We went to uni to study medicine and realised that A lot of people around him didn't know the signs and symptoms of cancer and especially even the medicine students and he wanted to change that so he started a society called cats campaign or cancer awareness in teenagers and young people society as we used to be called and um it kind of just spiraled from there really lots of societies started popping up in like cambridge and and manchester and then salford was the one that i started and i just realized that, you know, they were asking for people to apply for jobs and got involved that way and then ended up um, starting to work at CATS after I finished my degree. So what we do, in a nutshell, raise awareness of the signs and symptoms of cancer in young people, but kind of what wraps around that is body empowerment, so empowering people in their own bodies. Because if you're not empowered in your own body or confident in your own body, you may be less inclined to check yourself. We want people to check mm, themselves. Mm, mm. No, check your neck, your balls, your chest, your boobs, mm. everywhere. Mm. Moles, Literally.
1: Everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's quite what it is. <laughs> yeah. Bro, so I check every day. I'm just like everything. Like yeah. yo, every single time. But anyway, yeah. carry on.
0: <laughs> we did a workshop and, and one young person said it should be like checking your teeth, brushing your teeth. It should be ingrained in young people, you know, just every month, just checking yourself, you know, mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, if you find a lump, go to the doctor, you know, don't try yeah. not to panic because it can happen. Like lumps can just happen and they might not be anything to worry about. And, you know, your mole might not be anything to worry about. And it's, it's finding that fine line between not getting people to panic, but also making them realize that, you know, cancer can happen or like other things can happen and part of what we do is getting people to understand their bodies and to realize that they need to go to the doctor if there's something we say unusual and persistent and unexplained so you don't know why since happening and it's been going on for a while that's kind of what we do in a nutshell really so we do that through lots of different things we have our uni teams that are across the country through about nine different universities at the moment um, across the UK. So they do awareness through uh, lots of different events and they've been adapting um, online things like bake offs and everything. And they baked like biscuits in the shapes of balls and everything like amazing <laughs> work that they've done. <laughs> And yeah, so we have our university teams. We also um, are running a project at the moment with NHS Salford. So we're delivering workshops across the city of Salford uh, to young people aged 15 to 29. So that's the age range that we work within. Um, mm. So we have workshops based around just what cancer is, uh, checking yourself, risk factors. So HPV, so the human virus, which can cause cervical cancer, but can also cause um, womb cancer, Penal cancer anal cancer maybe not talked about as much um, mm. as it should be and we also tell people to be safe in the sun um, and that also really importantly we also talk about what skin cancer looks like on people with different colored skin so um poc skin and you know it's not talked about enough in terms of like if you look on different websites and medical websites you just see pictures of what moles look like on white skin yeah and to us that's a huge thing that it isn't talked about enough what skin cancer looks like on different coloured skin. So that's one thing that we've included in the workshops that we think mm. is really important. And we want to go into different communities. We want to go into SEND schools. We want to go into the homeless communities because these people need to know cancer awareness just as much as everyone else. And I don't think that has been done before. So we want to do that. So we've got lots of different projects that we want to do. But I think now is a very hard time for charities. So we're just hoping that we can continue as long as we can um, and doing our work and working with lots of amazing people. Hopefully, sky's the limit, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, that's what we do in a nutshell, really.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. And I know we can go on for so long talking about more stuff, but i just got two more questions for you. First one I want to ask you about is what you're doing now with regards to working at the nhs youth forum and your course so just give us a little insight into why you decided to be part of this and how it's going
0: yeah so i mean as well as cancer awareness i'm really passionate about lots of other areas of health and i think the pandemic has allowed me to think a bit more about what i want to do with my future so uh, i joined the nhs youth forum I think it was about just over a year and a half ago now. So the NHS Youth Forum is a group of young people, aged 16 to 25, I believe, maybe slightly younger, actually. Young people from a variety of different backgrounds who work with the NHS to improve healthcare for young people. So at the moment, we're working on a project um, about access of healthcare for people who are trans and non-binary and making sure that they know their rights and also that healthcare professionals know how best to communicate with them. Um, and lots of other amazing projects are going on in the NHS Youth Forum as well. Doing stuff like that has kind of made me realise that I wanted to do a bit of further study. So I decided to apply to do a Masters in Public Health and so I started that in September. I honestly think it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. It's exactly what I want to do and I never really knew it was out there. So yeah, I kind of feel like I've gone on that journey really of kind of discovering what I want to do. And um, so in public health we just learn about commissioning about like models of like interventions starting epidemiology next month at a very unique time um <laughs> with covid going on as well um yeah. but yeah so it's it's great it covers a lot of different things and hopefully uh, come out of that with a good degree and a lot of experience too
1: yeah i mean one thing that definitely is very evident is that whether or not we are chasing anything to do with cancer it has made us more conscious about health to mm-hmm. a higher degree and we are more Definitely. we are so passionate about um knowing more and exploring more and giving back more especially when it has to do with health mm-hmm. and that's what i've seen in what you're doing right now and so i'm gonna ask you this big question the great woo-hoo <laughs> question which is in the next 10 years where do you see yourself
0: God. <laughs> You're like 35 then. <laughs> I'm <trying to> figure <laughs> <out>. <laughs> so we get how old I am now. Um, gosh, but big question. I think um, I'd like to travel. So I'd like to travel a lot and work in other countries. So I'd love to work with in public health in different countries. Um, wouldn't want to just limit that to the UK. Hmm. Work with different communities. I think what's important to me is actually... Not, I mean, at the moment we don't have much choice but not being sat <laughs> behind a computer, but actually working with communities, working with real people. Um, so that's something I definitely want to be p- part of my career. Um, other than that, I don't know. I'm going to let those two things lead me, and I'll see. I'll see where I go. <laughs>
1: That's a that's a very even. I know you were saying you didn't have an it was a vague answer, but that's exactly. actually very, yeah. very. Um, <laughs> that's 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 very narrow because you know exactly where you want to see yourself in a sense, yeah. Of helping people around yeah. the world with health, and and I think all I can say is I can speak for myself and say there's a lot of parallels, <laughs> which is probably like the yeah. fifth million time I've said in that. <laughs> um, and I think it it speaks volumes to what impact we have had um, by being diagnosed with mm-hmm. cancer. Thank you so much. Um, one thing, I, The last thing I wanted to ask you is that, this is a big one, because if somebody, somebody young gets diagnosed with cancer, they just got diagnosed with cancer like yesterday, mm-hmm. what would you be able to tell them just in a couple of sentences?
0: Gosh, okay. Well, it's going to be really scary. Um, the people that you have around you are going to be really important so keep them close ask them for help some people might not understand what you're going through at all but i think it's important to just communicate with them as much as you can look after yourself like do whatever makes you happy i'd probably say maybe a bit of a strange one but just write stuff down i forgot so much and i think it's really important as part of like the process of maybe you know coming out of that cancer diagnosis is to like try and read over what you went through and process it that way because the memory thing was so hard for me but just like record stuff like even if you never look at it again just write something down about what you're going through so you can look back on it one day
1: amazing thank you so much for sharing thank you
0: for having me um,
1: thank you for being here um, it's Thanks been amazing and um hopefully we see we look forward to seeing you in international countries in the next 10 years yeah <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. It is weird how many parallels are between Seren's story and my story as a cancer survivor. And I'm sure it's parallel to a lot of people who are going through the same thing that we have gone through. This is why I brought her into this space so that she can speak about her story and be real with you guys. You know, we learn how to turn tragedy into triumph that's the whole story that's the whole story of being diagnosed with a life limiting health condition and being on the other side of it you know there is the true emotions the raw emotions and then there is the inspiration after that because whether you like it or not when you have something like cancer you see life differently and we saw life differently i see life differently to today I'm riding life till the wheels fall off. That's just the way it is. And I can't wait to hear more stories like Seren's in the future. As February the 4th is Cancer Awareness Day for the whole world. We want to make sure that we do our part. Okay, so that's why this podcast is coming out. We hope you enjoyed the listen. We hope you stay tuned. Make sure you follow us and make sure you stay tuned for more. But on to further notice, this is Mr. Babs, sign it out.